Why is recorded in front of a live studio audience. Have you seen this new Netflix uh, movie? I believe it's called Orgasm Inc. About Not yet, but I saw it touch. popped up, but I haven't watched it yet. So it's like another in the string of cult documentaries. There's yes. the Nexium. There's this one. Um, and here's the thing that I think I've I've come to realize. I would love to be in a cult. Really? Yeah. Somebody tells you what to do. Yeah, I wouldn't um, be in a cult. I wouldn't be in a cult. Well, it's just somebody tells you what to do. Everyone seems really happy. Until they're not. Well, listen, you can't make an omelet without breaking eggs, but everyone seems in a good mood. Someone's telling you what to do. You don't have to think about anything. If you're lucky, they come up with something for you to wear. So you're all dressed the same. So you don't have to worry about that. I True. get it. I get it. You would not dig this. No, I would not. Here is where every cult loses me, where I just like, nope, I am out. Yes. Communal living. Oh, agreed. No. Oh, sure. everyone shares a bedroom. Nope, we do no. not. No, We're that's getting a bunk terrible beds. way to run No, a we are not. Yeah, no. I agree. This is Why, with your hosts, Heidi Hedquist and Luke Poling. If I got to worry about either... Is someone sleeping in my room? I can't. I can't deal with that. I agree. Uh, somebody like you have to separate foods. No, I don't want to know if you know. No, Chuck, Chuck's been going through my peanut butter. No, I don't, don't want to have to label my food. I agree. I don't want to label my food. I don't want to feel like I'm a camp. Mm. I never really went to camp. I was a camp counselor, and I would do like oh Jesus, that sounds like the. <laughs> church choir camp but i never actually was a camp attendee i was just the counselor i got promoted before i even went to camp i just imagine you standing outside smoking cigarettes or like can we sing all things great and beautiful and you're like i don't care whatever go i know since i didn't smoke because my mother was a opera singer and i would have been you know beheaded Mm, but right um but that other than that yeah probably Mm -hmm. like what can we do that's fun when do we get to the dance and there's cute boys there You'd be accenting your choir robes is what I'm oh, feeling. Oh, completely. thousand yeah. percent. I'd be like, let's go swimming and work on our tans and then let's go to the dance. And if we happen to sing while we're doing either of those <laughs> things, then that counts as a success. Sure. Yeah. So yeah. No, but that's those are the things I don't like. So if someone creates a cult that's like how promises is to rehabs, like the promises mm. version of cult living. Then I may get sucked in. Like if there's high fashion, great food and like high-end champagne and tequila and you travel on yachts and jets, I might get sucked in. And everyone says about Nexium, and it's so true. Like, how did you not feel like this is something weird because it's a cult-based? No one wants to play that much volleyball. Volleyball in Buffalo. Right. Buffalo or Albany. It's like uh, upstate New York. Yeah. Regardless, it's upstate New York. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to be there in the winter. No. The people who live there don't want to be there in the winter. No, it's terrible. And they're like, oh, we found happiness. The secret to happiness is in Albany. I'll think so. I would buy Salt Lake before I'd buy Albany. I would buy Salt Lake before Albany, too. I agree. I just, I mean, say what you will about Scientology. Here's the clip that's going to get cut out and used against us in court. Oh, yeah. At least at least they have the decency to do it in Florida and in California. In California. And you can go to the Oscars. That's true. See, 
Bless you. Oh, I thought Randy was going to be like, how you do. Um, <laughs> she gets demoted right back to Seahorse. <laughs> One sneeze. I say no. That, and that, well, that's the thing. Like you, then, But you got to get through that billion year Sea Org contract I before you get to problem. seat warm for Dame Helen Mirren. I know. If I could go right in mm, yeah. with Tom Cruise and John Travolta, I'd be fine. Yeah. Well, see, that's that's where they get you. I know. You know, you think you're flying with Maverick, but you're really scraping barnacles off the side of the I know, and thing. that's the problem. And I wouldn't yeah. want to have to hang with David Miscavige because he's gross. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I think the Hitler youth haircut doesn't help him. No, it doesn't at all. No. I mean, it doesn't help anybody. It really doesn't. No. Yeah, no, I agree. So that's not really the right cult for us either. We have to yeah. start our own cult. This is what I'm saying. And like, uh, I mean, is this, that what we're doing with these shows? I don't know. Maybe. But even this one touch thing, everyone's like, oh, it's so great because of this, this and this. And then one guy pops up and is like, yeah, but it's like one person naked in a room surrounded by a bunch of, clo- bunch of clothed people. It's very uncomfortable. Yeah, and even he, he's like, mm, I, this is weird. That's and weird. then they're all living in a loft and people are dressing up in weird costumes. I'm like, this isn't this is like cult cosplay this isn't real cult stuff no, that's terrible this is not yeah. a good cult right and you're sharing a fridge with again oh, it's no. like everyone should at least have their own mini fridge right and there's going to be that one person who's really into yogurt and you're just like Ugh. there's yogurt all over the place here like, <laughs> terrible this is what i'm saying i'm like they're moving your diet ginger ale out of the way and my cult would be based at like eden rock in saint bart's and there'd be right we'll see- and beautiful right people to wait on us right we'll see here's again their cult aspirations cult bank account you know it's like you gotta try to even that one but, yeah but cult bank accounts usually pretty big that's part of the whole thing with the cult right because it's got that ponzi element of it right and i guess your dollar goes further in albany apparently you can buy a lot of headbands and volleyball nets there <laughs> tube socks oh my god how did anyone look at that guy and be like i want to follow this dude i don't know He's it's got fascinating. a ponytail and uh right and he i, I like don't want all to... the footage they have because they have so much right you would see like i have seen other like terrible well i don't know how bad it would, but still like you listen to like the ted bundy tapes you see footage of ted bundy and you go sure yep I'm pretty sure I would have gotten murdered by him. Right. But this guy, I want right. minutes with him. And what's her face? The woman. Mm-hmm. She's awful too. They were like personality zero. Right. Well, and say what you will about Miscavige. And I think you could say the same thing about this woman who started one touch again, not fans of their work. No. They're not sweaters. See, I don't want to see my cult leader sweat. I don't either. No. And this is what it comes down to. Like, I think, um, I mean, I feel like even Jim Jones, did, uh, he had the sunglasses. So that was kind of cool looking. I don't know. Was he a sweater? Well, you got to go with that one. Everybody was a sweater. Like uh, the mm. whole era was dripping. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, San Francisco in the 70s was just. Yeah, it was just. The puddle. <laughs> I mean, it was like watching somewhere in time. Like just. Mm. Yeah, that's true. All the time. Yeah. Take me out to the ball game. 
I grew up in London, Ontario, so oh I used gosh. to visit Detroit. I, I love London. Yep. Oh, yes, yes. Very, <laughs> very quaint town. Yeah, very enjoyable. And um, uh, my parents would always take us down to Detroit where we had an uncle and aunt living. And uh, and we would always go into Greek town back in the day. Of course. And that was always fun. Yeah. We, well, my family had a cottage in Leamington. So we spent, we were probably passing each other on the bridge and in the tunnel because we were headed over to Leamington all the time. And we used to go to Storybook Gardens in London. Oh, Storybook Gardens. <laughs> Love Storybook <laughs> Gardens. <laughs> Love oh, <it>. fantastic. <laughs> so fantastic. Yeah. I was going to say baseball is, you know, known as the American pastime. How did a Canadian get so involved in the sport? When did you come to it? I'm comedian David Race in Los Angeles. I host a celebrity-filled paranormal talk show like no other. Monstrosity has great guests answering weird questions. You won't believe the combo of celebrities and paranormal experts who've been on this show. I guarantee you'll like Monstrosity, or you get your time back. Go to monstrositypodcast.com right now and take a look. Well, it's very interesting, Luke, because um, no one in my family, uh, w- when I was born, w- w- uh, was a sports fan. Uh, you know, my, my mom and dad were Greek immigrants, and my uh, two younger sisters had no interest in it. But I, I gravitated to, to sports. I can't figure out why, other than um, uh, the kids around me would uh, would be playing and talking about hockey all the time. And um, I was just drawn to it as a result and, uh, found it a lot of fun. And, uh, it, it was, um, it was a, an enjoyable outlet for me. And I was really steeped in sports. Uh, it, uh, it, my dad didn't care for it, uh, that much, how deeply I was into sports, but, uh, um, yeah, I followed all the sports as carefully as I could growing up in London, Ontario. And then in 69, when my parents moved the whole family down to uh, San Diego, after we got our green cards, um, uh, I just got into it even more so here, uh, you know, and, uh, and because it was on uh, television just about every other day, whereas that wasn't the case up in Canada. So it was, um, yeah, it was quite the experience for me. But I don't know how I, I, I fell into it other than uh, than naturally. But I was always fascinated with sports, also fascinated with comedy and uh I love the comedians anytime I saw them on TV or in a film or anything of that nature. And uh, and so who knew that one day I would grow up and merge the two to make a career out of it. That's yeah. And so the Padres have always been your team. As no, as, I grew as up. Fan. Yeah, actually, when I was growing up in London, Ontario, I was the biggest San Francisco Giants fan. I don't know why, other than when I became aware of sports in 1962, the Giants had opened up with a great run, and it was their pennant-winning season. But uh, whenever I saw them on the game of the week, which was rare on uh, on CBS that was piped into the CBC up in Canada, um, I, I was fascinated with uh, how the Giants played and looked in their play. They had... Uh, the, the great Willie Mays making circus basket catches. And they had Juan Marichal, this 
the high leg kick and uh, and uh, acrobatic delivery, and um, they had the baby bull at first base, and they had big Willie McCovey at the time playing in left field, and I was just and they hit home runs so easily, and I just uh, fell in love with the team just watching them on TV and followed them. Didn't get to see them very often, but then. Um, when when uh, everybody uh, moved down to San Diego, yeah, I was still a Giants fan at, at heart, but I followed the Padres and uh, and they had difficulty getting on track here. They were a young team and uh, didn't win very often, but I, I followed them as best as I could, and uh, it was uh, it was uh, uh, still a, a good experience uh, overall. And uh, uh, you know, I just became a fan of baseball overall. You know, and uh, but uh, yeah, the the, the I, I was hoping for the um, for the Padres uh, overall, and lost my allegiance to the Giants uh, eventually. <laughs> How long did you keep that allegiance, even after you took the gig? Was it still there in your heart for a while? Oh yeah, yeah, and <laughs> I got I I got to tell you, my um, my allegiance uh, with was was with the Padres, but especially the Padre fans who are so good. And and so much fun, um, you know. And and as I learned over the the years, winning and losing um, was you know was important to them, but it didn't get in the way of having a good time at the ballpark. San Diego fans were a different cult, and um, uh, they didn't uh, like I say they didn't live on every victory or or, or die on every loss. It was well. It was fun. We had a good time at the park, didn't we? And uh, and that's one of the things that um, I, I recognized when I started dressing up in a chicken suit and going to the games. These fans just wanted to have a good party and and enjoy themselves. And Ray Kroc, who saved the team from moving to Washington D.C. at the eleventh hour in nineteen seventy three. Uh, literally December thirty first, nineteen seventy three, in the eleventh hour, he bought the team and saved them from moving to Washington, D.C. And in 74, uh, you know, I, as I got to know him, he just wanted his customers happy, just like at McDonald's that he founded. He just, and, and, and in the strangest way, this guy in a chicken suit was making his last place team fans happy just by goofing off in the grandstands. And he loved it. He loved it. Of course, he wanted to win. But if you can't win and and... And he sees his uh, customers going home with smiles on their faces after a loss. He says, well, that's that's the second best thing you can ha- uh, hope to happen. And uh, and uh, that that's how uh, my bonding became with uh, with uh, the Padre fans and the Padres themselves uh, through a chicken suit. Well, I mean, so well, legend. Yeah. So legend has it. You wore the chicken suit to the ballpark thinking. I could probably get in for free in this. I yeah. don't want to, I don't. Okay. That is true. I didn't know if I wanted to know if it wasn't true and have the <laughs> illusion ruined. Um, so, and then sort of you were wearing it for a radio station, correct? Yes. It started off as a, as a as a promotion for a rock and roll radio station. Um, uh, the day before Easter break, I was um, hired in 1974 by someone who came to the campus at San Diego State looking to find any student who would volunteer to wear a chicken suit for all of two bucks an hour. And the whole premise was just to go to the zoo 
and give away candy Easter eggs to everyone who came in. And I did that stint. It was difficult and it was hard. And I, yeah, I had a paper mache outfit that, uh, and a very bulky suit. And, um, yeah, but I, I, I toughed it out. Uh, the reason being I volunteered to do it was to get my foot in the door at a real radio station. There were other kids in that same classroom, in that same campus uh, radio station that I was uh, hanging out at that, that day I was hired. There were other kids who wanted to do it as well, you know, for all of two bucks an hour. Heck, we would have paid them two bucks an hour just for the opportunity to get in the door and and um, and, and, you know, start networking uh, at the station in hopes of a much better job. So um, I volunteered. And like I say, we we would have shined records and. Can I come back? No, we lost him. Come back. Uh-oh. Now it's, now it's gray. What does that mean? Might have lost him for a sec, maybe. Yeah. Hey, I can get in. I can get into opening day for free with this getup. Uh, so I called up the Padres. They let me come down. I let station management know I can still stay on and, and, and go to opening day and uh, see what happens. And uh, and uh, the whole idea behind the chicken was a, it was a walk-around billboard for the radio station with my call letters, KGB, on it. And they figured, well, what, what the heck? Uh, you know, it's it's something unique, something never been done. And um, it was the first instance of what's actually known nowadays as guerrilla marketing, <laughs> just getting your, getting your brand out in unorthodox locations to be noticed. And so I, I called up the Padres and they said, okay, you can come down if you give us a plug on the air. I got them a plug on the air, uh, no problem. And um, because back then you must know the Padres were having difficulty drawing fans, being a perennial last place team. And so, um, uh, you know, I, I made that trade off, got the DJs to, to give us a plug. Uh, and uh, I went down there and the fans had were greatly amused with this guy going around in a chicken suit acting like a fan, you know, cheering on the Padres. And it, it got a little got a little mention in the next day's paper, and station management went nuts. They couldn't believe it. And so um, it, yeah, I went back again the next day and the day after that, and uh, suddenly, um, you know, a, a chicken career was born, and more and more fans were having fun with it, and. Uh, as off the wall and as irreverent as it was, it was clicking with uh, with everyone's uh, uh, enjoyment of the game. That's amazing. Can you, looking back on that now, could you have imagined how iconic you would have become? Hey, Bar and Girl fans, it's Jim with Madhouse Bar Talk where me and my co-host sit around and talk about the things going on around Madhouse Bar and Grill in Elyria, Ohio. The whole conversation is unscripted, uncensored, and unedited. Anywhere where you stream podcasts, just remember, Madhouse Bar Talks, baby! Oh, no way. No way. I I, I gotta tell you, I was... um... I was just uh, working as hard as I could 
uh, in that job. And I was uh, literally uh, taking classes at San Diego State by day and playing chicken at night. And um, I was just uh, working, uh, no pun intended, but I was working my tail off as hard as I could because I I didn't want to stay a chicken. I, I wanted to show station management. I was working so hard and so diligently that they would look at me and say, well, get that kid's energy and let's give him a real job around here. You know, and I wanted to get on the air and being a journalism major, I figured, oh, maybe I can, uh, they'll let me work in the news department here, or um, maybe I can be an overnight DJ or something. Um, uh, you know, anything, anything in, in broadcasting or journalism, uh, that's what I was hopeful of. You know, just an opportunity. That's the whole idea. And even though it was two bucks an hour, it, it didn't matter. It didn't. I didn't care one bit about that. You know, I cared more about the opportunity. You know, and uh, but it's a strange thing. Uh, you know, the harder I worked at, you know, uh, doing the chicken, uh, the more successful it became. And suddenly, as other job opportunities became available, uh, the station gave them to somebody else and not me, because they said. This guy is a great PR vehicle for us. And the ratings were starting to rise uh, for KGB. It was the last place rock and roll radio station. And it suddenly, within 18 months, rose to number one without a single change in its format or its DJs or anything else. And they determined this guy that going around town in a chicken suit at all these public events, he's, he's drawing attention for us. And and that's that was the that was the the secret, and um, and then they started doing uh, TV commercials about me and uh, uh, it, it, you know it, it, with a chicken theme and uh, and putting billboards up and bus advertisements and all kinds of things. And again, I'm still making two bucks an hour uh, right. at the time, and, <laughs> and still going to school by day. I didn't graduate till 1976. But um, it manifested itself into a uh, uh, into a, a, a townsfolk icon that eventually um, uh, branched out from there as as uh, you know the, more of the nation became aware of what was going on in, in San Diego because you got to know one thing I was going beyond sports I was going to concert events uh, I was being asked to be grand marshals of parades I was uh, I was doing radio promotions for you know we're doing all kinds of things radio promotions like for example on a weekend in July um, uh, I would get a big refrigerated uh, truck and and uh, haul it haul around town with a ton of watermelon to give away at different locations around town that we would promote. And I would literally give away, the chicken was giving away watermelons to anybody who came up for free. So we were doing these off the wall promotions and, and drawing lots, lots of attention. And, and uh, that's how it became, um, uh, you might say like, uh, uh, like an icon um, in, in town, uh, quite the symbol uh, that helped the radio station. How much of the chicken is you and how much is a, a character that you've come up with through all the that's years? A, that's a, yeah, good question, Luke. I got to tell you, I did not know that this personality was inside of me until I put on the second skin of the chicken suit. Uh, it was almost like a Jekyll and Hyde transformation. And... Um, you know, it's it's like playing Halloween every day. You you simply become another character. 
So what happened was uh, um, I discovered uh, I was able to um, uh, come out of my shell, come out of my skin, so to speak, as Ted and become this chicken. And this chicken, I wanted to make like a fuzzy purple marks. You know, I just wanted to make it a visual comedian. And, uh, you know, there's an old adage, don't laugh. It only encourages him. Well, that's exactly right. The, the, the more the more fans laughed, the more encouraged I got. And so I just kept stretching, pushing the envelope. And it got to the point where the, the Padres front office was taking note. And, and they invited me to go from the grandstand onto the field and start doing some chicken shtick out there, as they say. There and, go. uh, yeah. And so I started goofing with the players and the umpires and the coaches. And, and of course I stayed goofing with the fans in the stands and it worked. I would literally jump on the field, go out, goof off do something, get a huge laugh and jump right back in the stands with the fans. <laughs> it, it really worked out. And it, uh, so everybody was having fun with it. And, uh, and like I say, the, the the Padre fans' laughter put me on the map, and uh, it was uh, and and then um, uh, the Padres encouraged me to do more and more. The front office, and then the players came up with ideas for me. And umpires would come into town and say, "I got an idea for you. You got to try. Come on out in the third inning and do this with me." Okay, and it was incredible. Everybody was having input, uh, you know. And what were we doing? We were just trying to entertain the fans, give them a laugh, and we were giving ourselves a laugh as well. And it it worked out. Do you ever dig out the the chicken costume and put it on for Halloween these days? Scarcity. <laughs> <laughs> I, I used to I, I used to I go out on Halloween. Now uh, nowadays, even though I'm in semi retirement now, it's <laughs> it's one of the few days. You know, I, one of the few days I, I I don't dress up, and I enjoy seeing everybody else dress up. <laughs> right, it's like a day <laughs> no, at the office. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, there was a time I would, uh, uh, yeah, when it came Halloween, I, 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 I went all around town and across the country and for various things, um, you know, uh, uh, for events. Uh, it, 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 it got to the point, I got to tell you, uh, one time I was invited to be uh, the Grand Marshal of the, of a Mardi, major Mardi Gras parade down in New Orleans. And that was, uh, that was remarkable. I, such a, to see a sea of humanity like that, goofing off like yeah. crazy. Uh, <laughs> and there I was on, on the float as the, as the chicken a la king of the Mardi Gras parade. <laughs> perfect. That's absolutely perfect. <laughs> So I first became aware of you as a fan of the baseball bunch, the Saturday morning television program. It was yes. sweet spot, right era. But I wanted to go over a few of your successes that when you lay them all out end to end is unbelievable. How many presidents have you met? Oh, wow. It's got to be. Well, let's see. Uh, Ford, Reagan, both Bushes. Uh, let me see, um, uh, who, uh, Clinton, did uh, he have a sense of that? humor about it? Oh, uh, yeah. Who again? I'm sorry. Clinton. Oh no, I never, never met him. Okay. Never met him. I, uh, uh, let's see. Never was invited to meet him or Obama. Didn't meet the Carter. 
the first the first president I ever met was uh, Gerald Ford. It was here in San Diego, and uh, uh, it was in uh, 1976. And I was invited to join him on stage uh, to welcome him with a bunch of other celebrities at the time, uh, and uh, in Southern California. It was here in San Diego. And uh, Zsa Zsa Gabor, these are, these names are going to sound dated, but at the time no, they were big. Oh, please, this is yeah, wonderful. please, these are our favorite people. <laughs> okay, okay, Zsa Zsa Gabor, John Wayne, Wayne Newton, uh, Rod McEwen, the poet. I uh, was up there with Shirley Babishoff, the Olympic swimmer of '76, who won all those gold medals, and um, and I was asked to be up there to to welcome uh, Ford, and, and it's funny. Uh, he's up on stage to start his speech, and he's turning and uh, welcoming, uh, single singling out uh, all the uh, celebrities who were there to uh, uh, to meet him, and uh, and they're all getting you know good applause you know from the audience, and this was a huge rally of about twenty thousand uh, open air uh, open air uh, parking lot that was converted into a, a rally station from in San Diego. Uh, in the parking lot of a, of a shopping mall. And, um, and then finally he gets to be the last one. And he says, and, and of course the chicken, I just love the chicken and the audience. I mean, melted down in hysterics. And, and then I did something that, uh, uh, I don't know if you can do it today. I, I took my bows. I got all excited and I literally dashed all the way across the stage engulfed president ford in a huge bear hug <laughs> and then brought him out from the podium raised his arms in victory and i mean it went crazy and, and it was a it was a, a a picture taken that even made the front page of the atlanta constitution which was jimmy carter's hometown and uh and uh it it was it was so nobody there wasn't a secret service guy that came after me nobody tackled miracle. me you know and uh, it was a, a tremendous moment to say so myself, very warm and endearing. And, and like I say, everybody was cool about it. And uh, I'll tell you a little side story. I figured, oh, boy, when I get off the stage, they are going to haul me away, you know, in handcuffs or something. And so little side story. Uh, so as, uh, it, of course, uh, uh, I take my bows with, uh, with Ford. I go back to my position. And uh, and then uh, Ford begins his speech. And as we're going uh, off stage, uh, the celebrity section there is going off the stage. Uh, that celebrity, I was among them. I, let's uh, a celebrity plus one, which was me. <laughs> so as we're going on, so as we're going down the steps, as we're going down the steps, I feel this this big hand on my shoulder, and I figured, okay, this is it. Uh, they're going to haul me away. And I turned around and said, I'll go peacefully, officers. I'm thinking it's a secret service, right? No, it's it's Ron Nesson, the press secretary for President Ford. I turn around and he in, introduces himself and and he's got another guy in in a three piece suit there. And he says, I, I if you have a moment, Mr. Chicken, I'd like to introduce you to um, to um, uh, a, a reporter, a senior reporter of The New York Times, Jim Naughton, and who since has passed away. And he's the senior reporter. And I figured, oh, OK, this guy's going to ask for my opinion on, on certain issues. OK, sure, oh, how yeah. about it? Yeah. And instead, he says, kid, what you just pulled out there 
was the funniest thing I've ever seen in my career <laughs> covering politics. He, and he says, and he says to me, can you, will you let me buy your costume right here, right now? And I said, <laughs> I, and I said, well, I can't do that. It's, 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 it's how I make my living. And then, and then Ron Nesson says, is there anything you can do for Jim? He's quite the practical joker. And I said, well, I, I've got an extra head I can let you have. And he says, an extra head? I'll take it. I'll take it. Sure enough, I gave him the head, my extra chicken head. And a few days later, at a press conference, this senior editor of the New York Times, a senior reporter, political, political reporter of the New York Times, literally wears the head to the press conference to ask wow. Ford a question in it. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. And Ford, was, Ford was so taken. He was so taken by the humor of it all <laughs> that afterwards he went to Jim Knott and he says, You got to let me have that head for my archives. Oh my gosh. And, and Jim Knott says, Of course, Mr. President, here, you can have it. And today, today, that head sits proudly in the Library and Museum of Gerald R. Ford in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I have to go visit it. I have to go visit it. I have to go visit it. So I'm sorry, what's that? I have to go visit it. That's only two hours for me. (laughs) I know I know they put it up. You may want to call ahead. I, I I know they put it up whenever they have a symposium about the the presidency and humor or humor and the presidency. I love it. And um but uh, it's on their I believe it's on their website as well. Amazing. I believe That's amazing. Yeah, it's on the, yeah. But uh, I've seen it. No, I I have seen it. Uh and that. um yeah, and uh, yeah, it's 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 really something. So it's a, that's a that's a high honor. There there aren't there aren't too many costume heads sitting in presidential museums no. across America. No, <laughs> yeah, Take that's that prob- Burger King, right? Yeah, <laughs> now, the only one. A, a few other kind of highlights I, I wanted to ask about. Um, Spy Magazine referred to you as the Olivier of sports mascots. The New York Times, yes, yeah, the paper of record called you perhaps the most influential mascot in sports history. And then I think what has to be my favorite um, achievement that you had, you recorded a cover of Rod Stewart's Do You Think I'm Sexy? Now, (laughs) when you look back... Where'd you dig that up? That's right. Where'd you dig that up? Just just go with it, Ted. Um, So when you look back at this career as, as... you know, this beloved mascot, what's, what, what's the standout for you that you look back and think like, I, I can't believe that happened. Was it Ford or is there other stuff besides that? Wow. There, 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 there's so much, there, there's so much. And it just, it just built on its own. And let me tell you, um, I've reflected on this a few times, you know, thinking about it, it, uh, you know, it, it's all organic. You know, I've never, I never had a PR firm, never, um, I had an ad agency, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, promote me other than when, when companies come to me and they want to use me in their commercials and such, but, uh, and, and, and ads and such, but, uh, but I've never, never had anything organized in, in that way. It's all been organic and, and organic through, through, uh, through uh, sports fans and music fans and what have you. 
and it, it just developed by you know word of mouth and association. And so I mean, it, and so uh, yeah. What if there was a if there was a really watershed moment? It probably was the grand hatching that I had in June of 1979. After five years of employment with the radio station, we literally became uh, came the loggerheads over my career growth in a chicken suit of all things. And they fired me, then filed a lawsuit to prevent me from branching out on my own. But the courts ruled in my favor, and I became a free agent chicken. And I hatched out of this gigantic styrofoam egg at uh, Jack Murphy Stadium before a Padre game uh, to a sellout crowd. And, um, uh, and it was to debut my new chicken suit uh, at the time. And um, I still had the rights to my old one. Um, from the radio station, but at that time I couldn't wear it. I was under an injunction not to wear it. So I decided to create a new one and, um, and broke out of the egg and it was a remarkable night. And, and it was so much so that it was carried on the national news, you know, and uh, let alone San Diego. In fact, in San Diego, local television stations interrupted local programming to go to the stadium live to show the grand hatching, believe it or not. You, you can't even do that today. That's not even allowed today. But back then, they literally interrupted live uh, the, the, the programming, local programming, uh, to, to show the grand hatching live with reporters present. And, uh, and I hatched out of the egg, and it was uh, 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 quite, the, quite the moment. It, it, I'm... I'm still moved by it uh, to this day and, and get a 10 minute standing ovation. And uh, it was so much so that I literally felt cold sweat. It was a hot June night, but I was feeling a cold sweat coming out of my pores. I was that shaken by the emotion and outpouring of affection from San Diego fans. It was, um, an emotional moment because it was front page news, getting fired then getting sued and all that sort of thing, both of which I overcame and, and, and won, like I say, but that, um, to, to, to see that kind of outpouring of affection from so many people. And it was remarkable. It, uh, and it, like I say, it went nationwide. Uh, I know major league baseball at the time, uh, did a whole commercial about it. Uh, and they ran it during their games, even during the World Series. And it was a tremendous, um, a tremendous feeling to, uh, to, to sense. And, and keep in mind, I was not even an employee of Major League Baseball. I was just a Joe fan. I was regular fan, a regular fan out of the grandstands. That's it. And, um, and so I just uh, carried it from there. Uh, as as other teams and organizations would call on me to come visit their cities uh, across the country and around the world and uh, and entertain um, uh, other endeavors from corporations that wanted to be to associate with their with their brands it's amazing yeah it really is i want to be uh aware of your time and, and, and sensitive to it and this has been amazing to talk with you my final question, in the decades that you have spent in a chicken costume, looking out, meeting, and seeing huge swaths of some humanity out there, what have you learned about your fellow man 
that you've seen in a place where people think this chicken's not really seeing me and paying attention to me? What have you learned about life and about humans from this unique perspective? Wow. That, yeah, that's, that is, um, that's a very insightful question. Um, I've got to say that there's so much good uh, that, that at heart, we all want to laugh. And there's, there's so, uh, you know, there, there's so much goodness and kindness in everyone. And it's remarkable to me when you do something as irreverent as wear a chicken suit and play the goofball and you're playing a, a goof for someone else's humor, it, it, it draws the best uh, out of, out of everyone. Uh, maybe not, eh, let's say at least 99.9%, <laughs> but it draws the very best um, out of people because uh, you're basically in, in a vulnerable situation and, and you're just doing it for, for a laugh, you know, it's, uh, and, and uh, it's humor. And I, I think, you know, that's one of the things, you know, I, I look at the, uh, you know, I, I look at, at children, uh, for example, and how easily they laugh and how easily they want to laugh. And I and I got to thinking, I, I've been thinking, you know, that's where we all are at heart. And we we just want to express more of that. And um, and so it's it's a good way to uh, cool the temperature of things sometimes and 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 look at the things um from a, a humorous per, uh, perspective, if possible. For more information on Ted and the Famous Chicken, you can check out his website, famouschicken.com. And if you want to see Ted in action, you can check him out on YouTube, where he's at youtube.com slash user slash the famous chicken. You can check us out on all the various socials. Be sure to visit our website and don't forget to leave us a review. Today's show is produced by myself and Heidi Hegquist. Our reluctant producers are John Sauvet and Sandy Stone. Our willing producers are Rachel Allen and Randy Jeanette. Our intern is Zach Jackson. This one's for Philippe. Thanks for joining us. Flash, we're coming home. Nigel, is that you? Are you here, Nigel?